I invite your attention to Matthew chapter 5. I want to begin reading at verse 38, and we will read down through verse 42. Our uh, focus this morning is on verse 42, uh, the first part of it, the opening statement of verse 42. Uh, We'll begin at verse 38. Words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Give to him who asks you. That's an awful statement, isn't it? That's the kind of statement a guy would make to me when he wants something. It probably, the statement wouldn't be so bad if it weren't the climax of all the other three statements. Because in this illustration, he gives four illustrations. And it starts with this overwhelming umbrella of do not resist an evil person. And then he begins to illustrate what that means, how that plays out. And the way it plays out is that the guy comes up and backhands you, he insults you, slaps you on the right cheek. So it's not a physical thing. It's an insult, a sarcasm, a cut down, a demeaning, somebody's putting you down, how do you treat that? Then immediately on top of that, he rushes right in and moves into this, someone wants to strip you down and take every last dime you've got and even take the bare necessities of your life. And then he immediately moves in to the guy who comes and compels you to go a mile, which is interrupting your schedule. It's uh, taking your time. It's uh, lording it over you like you are obligated for something that he wants for himself. And he begins to use you for his own ends. And then on top of that, like the cherry on top of all of this, like the climax to all of this, like The final thrust of all of this is give to him who asks you. And by the time I get to the statement, give to him who asks you, I am so absolutely devastated, worn out, beaten to death, sick to the heart of all the rest of it, I want to throw up my hands and say, hey. And on top of that, He's talking about an individual 
who's initiating all of this. For the one who has come to me and is insulting me is not my best friend who's joking around. The one who's insulting me, the one who wants to strip me down and take every last dime I have, is not a nice guy. The one who's come and demand my service and is interfering with my schedule the one who wants me to give to him and who is asking is an evil person. He's not evil because he does evil things which can put him right in the middle of the church. He is evil because he does not meet up to the premise of the Sermon on the Mount which this is all about. And the premise of the Sermon on the Mount is all about what? It's about from the very first words of the Sermon on the Mount, the poverty-stricken individual. The individual who's poor in spirit. The individual who, when you slit him down the middle and go to the heart core that Mick was talking to us about, go to the heart core, you have found an individual who has absolute no resource at all. He is totally, absolutely helpless there and has no resource. But he mourns over that and embraces that helplessness and is embraced by that helplessness and the overwhelming resource of the wonder of Jesus has literally come and has literally filled him to the depth of his being and suddenly all the resource of life and power and, the, and, and dignity that he needs in his living is now being supplied to him. And he is living in this abundance in his poverty. And he stays in that helplessness, embracing that helplessness, and the resource continues to flow, and all the Beatitudes begin to spill out of it. The guy who is confronting me, insulting me, wanting to strip me down, wanting, wanting to take my services, interfere with my schedule, and is now wanting me to give to him because he asked of me, is not that kind of guy. He is a selfish, self-centered, wants his own way, is thinking only about himself. He's an individual who is helpless and won't even admit it. And because he is helpless and won't admit it, he literally lives in his helplessness and has no resource at all. So he reaches out and grabs a hold of and utilizes every circumstance for his own benefit. And he derives for himself everything he can derive from everybody he can get a hold of. He's a gigantic con. He's an individual who lives for himself and is using everything around him for himself. That's the guy that Jesus says I'm to give to. That's as repulsive as I know how to give it. And I knew when I got into this this morning that there would be no one running the aisles. <laughs> and there would be no hallelujahs in the crowd. Because <laughs> this is absolutely sickening. And if it weren't for it being in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, I would rip out the page. But you see, the one who is proposing this 
is the one who is not an evil person. These are the words of Jesus. So God is speaking this? Yeah, it is the word of God. No question about that. But the one who is speaking this is God who has become a helpless man. He has entered into the womb of a woman. He has become the helpless babe. He has become the one who doesn't know anything and had to learn. He is the one who could not feed himself. He is the one that embraced his helplessness. And he is the one who's been filled with the Spirit. And he is the first Spirit-filled kingdom man who is standing before a crowd and speaking directly to his disciples and says, Guys, guys, here's what we're getting into. And you are going to have what I have. And be what I am. And here is what it's going to generate in your life. So the one who's speaking to us in the passage literally has the heart and the nature of God himself. And his whole point in the passage is, oh, would you literally become the heart of God and see the occasion that is confronting you the backhandedness, the insult, the guy who wants to strip you down and take everything you got, the guy who literally is infringing upon your schedule and your goodness and is using you for his own ends, the guy who is asking you to give to him, will you look at that occasion and will you see the physical activity that is being required moment will you see it as an opportunity of redemption will you look at your materialism your physical possessions will you look at your physical energy and activities Will you look at your physical materialistic life as a platform for the divine activity to take place and be redemptive in a world? Well, manly, if I let my physical materialistic world that's connected to my life become a redemptive force in the world, what will it look like? And you want to sing? Jesus, make me like you? Are you sure? These are the words of that guy. Wow. Now, just in the introduction of this, trying to get a handle on this, we haven't got to the points of the sermon yet. But just to get a handle on this so we can move to the points of what he's saying, 
Let me give you a couple ideas. Number one, priority. See, herein lies the problem. Priority. Materialism, how to say this? Materialism becomes greater in importance than people. Materialism becomes greater in importance than people. I got interested in materialism, what it means, so I looked it up in the dictionary. Here's what it means. A tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. You understand in the scriptures that there is never, ever, 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 ever an attempt to make physical material things evil. They were never evil. Everything God made, he looked at and said, I did good. The difficulty is in the priority of those things. And it's the old 1 Timothy 6.10 that's been quoted all my life to me. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And it didn't have to do with money. And it didn't have to do with materialism or didn't have to do with physical things. It had to do with priority. The priority of the physical thing. Does your heart race for the reality of spiritual life over the top of the physical, material satisfaction of your life. Would that be why you sacrifice physically and materialistically in order to come together to seek him in the body. Is that why we would sacrifice physical schedules for the purpose of meeting for prayer at 7.30 in the morning? Is that why you literally value 
his word so strongly in your life that it overshadows the allurement of TV, movies, hanging out. We confronted this in uh, Matthew 12, which is a beautiful illustration. And in Matthew 12, you've got the Pharisees who are after Jesus over a guy who's had his hand healed on the Sabbath day. They put the guy in the temple, knew Jesus would come, knew he would heal the guy of the withered hand, knew it. Hey, how could Jesus not? So Jesus heals the guy. They're all bent out of shape. You can't do a medical procedure on the Sabbath day. <laughs> he could have waited till Monday, you know. So they're all bent out of shape. And Jesus moves into this simple illustration of a sheep falls into the pit on the Sabbath day. What do you do? Get him out. Why? You're a shepherding culture. And sheep represent, you don't say I have dollars, you, have, you tell how many sheep you've got. If a man falls into a pit, what do you do? Leave him there. What's his own fault, the stupid idiot stumbled on his own? So obviously sheep have more value to you than... So in our illustrations, the whole idea of that is, in, our, in the illustrations, the four illustrations, a guy insults you, see you're, how you feel, the insults you receive, well, what do people think now? Well, I wonder who heard that. All of that stuff about, see, you value yourself, your physical comfortable, your, your, your own personal status, your own pride. I value that more than I value the redemption of the individual who's insulting me. Which is what he's talking about. The guy who asked me to give to him, well, I'm, I worked hard. He, he laid around all. He, oh, go, go get a job, good night. But you don't see your materialism as a platform for the movement of Jesus through your life into the heart of the one who's asking. You have just had an opportunity. Knock on your door. Wouldn't it be something in the middle of the prevenient grace of God on that guy's life that God has literally manipulated him into a state of need so that he would be forced to come and knock on your door? Wouldn't that be something? And that this is a grace opportunity that just came your way. So you see, it's all about priority. 
consider this along with that. The idea of pointer. Herein lies the problem. You see, my materialism has priority. And my materialism becomes, therefore, a measure by which I gauge how successful I am. Is that a part of our culture? I know I'm not a successful pastor. I know that. And the reason I know that is because the car I drive. (laughs) And we immediately measure. In fact, we do that in our spiritual lives. We measure the success of our spiritual lives by our materialism. Wow. Jesus had come to the temple and uh, with his disciples, it was just the Passion Week, was the last few days of his life. And. Uh, the disciples were acting like the chamber of commerce and pointing out this building and oh they spent they spent 40 years building that yeah I don't know if they probably won't get it done in my lifetime and oh there's the temple don't look at it the sun shining it'll blind you it's gold plated and you know they were just bragging about all the buildings and Jesus looked at him and said you know your your spiritual value your your spiritual security uh, your the way you f- know everything is okay is because of these buildings. And if the buildings came down, you'd go, whoa! See, God dwells in our presence. How do you know? The temple. So if the temple was gone, what would you do? So your whole spiritual life is wrapped up in these buildings. The material, the stuff. He said, by the way, I want to tell you, this thing's going down. The temple's going flat. It's going to be wiped out. And then it's going to be interesting to see what you do. And they looked at one another like, whoa. The man's flipped. Jesus said, let's get out of here. And as they headed out of the temple, Jesus stopped dead in his tracks and everybody bumped into his back. And they said, why did you stop? He said, Hide over there. Hide over there. I want to show you something. So they expected some big deal, you know. Some big phenomenal thing was going to happen. And, and Jesus is crouching down and all the disciples. And he said, shh, look, just watch. Just watch. And while they were watching, this little old lady, I'm shouldered, all wrapped up in her gown and her robe. And she came waddling in. And as she came waddling in, she looked out of this way and she looked that way and when she was sure no one was watching she waddled over to the offering box rummaged around in her robe someplace pulled out two little coins dropped them in the box Jesus looked at his disciples and said whoa did you see that oh, 
Wasn't that phenomenal? Oh, it just blesses me all over. And they looked at him and said, what are you talking about? If you wanted to get blessed, you should have been in the service I was in yesterday. Oh, this guy stood up in this three-piece suit, reached in, got one of those fancy wallets. It was alligator skin. He just whipped it out and flopped the thing open. And as the offering plate flipped by, he just, the $100 bills just flowed. And we all just, whoa. That was great. A little old woman, two pennies. I could find those down at Walmart on the ground. What are you talking about? Jesus said, you guys don't get it, do you? It isn't what she gave. It's what she kept. And she kept nothing. You don't suppose that's what's wrong with the tithing idea in the Old Testament? That it sets up the parameters of, I have this. This is mine. Aren't I phenomenal? I give 10%. Isn't God lucky? When the truth of the matter is, I don't have anything, and none of it's mine. And maybe my spiritual life is not gauged by what I give. Maybe it's gauged by what I keep. So when someone backhands me, insult, demeans, belittles, puts me down, wants to strip me of every valuable thing I have, interferes with my schedule, wants me to... When it's really none of my business, they just want to use me. When they knock on my door and want me to give. Do I see it as a divine opportunity of God coming to my life to be redemptive? and literally be the hand of Jesus in their lives. Wow. Oh, let's get to the sermon. Did you notice there's a command? Verse 42. Give to him who asks you. Did you recognize that's a command? It's interesting that the overall umbrella is not a command. Yeah, you go to, the, uh, go to the major premise of the passage, which is what? Verse 39. I tell you not to resist an evil person. That's not a command. 
In fact, resisting an evil person is an infinity which is all about purpose. So what Jesus is saying, I'm telling you for this purpose. Here's the purpose of why I'm telling you all this. Here's the basic idea that I'm telling you this for. Here's what I'm really after in everything I'm sharing with you. And what is it? Do not resist an evil person. And there's no command in that. And then, isn't it interesting, when he goes into all of these four illustrations, every single one of them is a command from the lips of Jesus. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. For instance, whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn! It's a command. Verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have! Command. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go! Command. And in this one, it starts out, give! Command. Are you into commands? Hey, if you're a legalistic person at all, and some of you are, then, hey, live up to it. Live up to it. It's a command. In fact, it's interesting that the word give there is used 413 times in the New Testament. And every time I could find, there may be one I didn't find, but every everyone I could find always was an activity, an action, with a direct object. In other words, it was never an attitude. It was never, let's have a generous spirit. It was never that. It was never that. It was always a practical, down to it, material, physical activity that had a direct object that was receiving the activity of the giving. Let me give you an example. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Gave a physical activity with a direct object of giving. Isn't that interesting? Well, let me give you another one. Jesus said the works which the Father has given me, I've finished. Those works I do. The Father gave works and Jesus did them. So see, it's never just a generous spirit. It's never just, oh yeah, I'm a generous person. No, come on. Put your, put, 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 hey, put, put it out there. Put, put, hey, put it into action. And that's what he's saying in the passage. So this is not just an attitude to have. Now certainly, as you investigate all 413 of these places where the word give is given, it's, it has the attitude, most of them have the attitude connected with it, which is the attitude of love. In other words, if you don't have the attitude of generosity and love and you give, it won't matter. You might as well have kept it. 
So while the attitude is not the focus, it's a command, and there's always a direct object, and it's always in the physical, there is also this idea that the undercurrent of the whole thing is this phenomenal attitude of love. Now bring all of that into the passage. There's a command here. Give to him who asks you. Well, I'm a generous person. Then prove it. Let your generosity spill into the activity of the giving, a physical, material activity that actually moves, actually responds, actually does. And underneath all of that is what? This overwhelming, I see this as an divine opportunity where God has literally in his pervenient grace manipulated a life intervened in a scene moved a person and has brought them to knock on my door and I see ah yes they're an evil person yes they're all wrapped up in themselves yes they're wanting to use me yes it's another con yes it's another idea yes they're pulling my string yes they're out for themselves yes But can my materialism and this opportunity be a platform by which the very essence of the love of Jesus can be expressed and embraced? And I would never have this opportunity if it weren't for this asking. Oh, look at the condition. Give to him who asks you. Well, who's asking me? Well, we've already discussed it. An evil person. But it's interesting. The Greek word for who is asking is always used in the New Testament in the, in the connotation of someone who's inferior asking from someone who's superior. For instance, it's the same word that's used for the lame beggar. The lame man who's at the gate beautiful in Acts chapter 3. He's begging. He's asking. Give. To the one who asks. It's the word for ask. He's a beggar. It's used in Matthew 7, 9. For a son who asks from his father. See, it's always. See, I don't have any. When a superior person to me comes and wants me to contribute, help them. What an opportunity. But see, that's not the setting. The setting is someone who's inferior to me is asking. That's the dying. And on top of being inferior, he is an evil person who is full of himself, Wants me. He got himself in a mess. He wants me to bail him out. Not my responsibility. And yet could it be. God has literally in his pervenient grace. Moved the scene of the man's living. Put him in contact with me. And he's banged on my door. 
and an opportunity for the expression of divine grace is now mine. Lord, wouldn't it be something if the entire materialism of my life has been provided by you for the sole purpose of being redemptive to my world. Wouldn't it be something, Jesus, if the very physical of my life, the physical health, the physical materialism, the physical possessions, the physical knowledge, wouldn't it be something, God, if everything that's connected to my physical, spiritual world, physical, materialistic world, you have allowed it, you have brought it to me to be the platform, not for my self-satisfaction, not for my comfort, not for my pleasure, not for my security. It is the platform by which you will redeem my world. And Lord, when we talk about taking a city, what will it cost us? My stars, what will it cost us, God? And I feel so much better, God, about a religion where you bless me and I come on Sunday morning and feel good. Maybe this morning, dear Jesus, you need to save me from my materialism. For I have valued my physical comfort more than you. Heads are bowed. Who would have the courage to admit that today and kneel at an altar? Speaking of deliverance, strongholds, Wouldn't it be something if your stuff physical comfort 
sheep have become more important than people. <laughs>